I couldn't be mad at him. He's just doing his job. But it was in that moment that I realized, you know what, there were a number of things that I could have done better. I could have saved better. I could have prioritized better. I could have better managed my money with the risk. That that is what told me that if I ever got out of it, I would behave differently. And it took several months. So I actually wrote down like a check. It was a check that I didn't, of course, you know, send to anyone. But I wrote a check for every single one of my debtors. And I wrote the um, the amount and who it was to. And like by faith, I was like, I will have all of these debts paid off. And it took several years, but I still have those cork boards now, they're kind of like Moses had the uh, tablets of the, the Ten Commandments, which he showed, like, the people of, of Israel. This, this to me, I look forward to, to sharing this with, you know, my son and being like, hey, even when you're in your worst situation, if you can build a plan, even if it's, you know, tens and $50,000 in debt, uh, which at that time was a lot for me, you can do it as long as you take steps forward. And tuning into Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. Super excited to have one of the guys I schooled with back at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University on the show today, Mr. Calvin Williams. Back in the day, he started XMG, a website design company, and he was just so far ahead of the curve. Um, it's been great to see his growth. Calvin's actually into finance now, and I'm not going to steal any thunder from him on what he's doing, but I'm super excited about his vision for Freeman Capital and the way that it's going to impact the culture. Hey, Calvin, how are you, man? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Man, it's my pleasure. So we've been out of school for a while. Do you mind talking about what happened after you left the wonderful North Carolina A&T? Of course, of course. So I was fortunate enough to, you know, go to that, at least for me, the best school in the world, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. And there it really gave me this foundation of not just education, but entrepreneurship and just trying to dream big. After I left North Carolina A&T, the first thing that I did was, as you mentioned, was run XMG Online, which was a web development and a web application studio. And I did it for about nine years. But then at the end of it, I just got tired of kind of building websites, to be honest, and web applications. And I had an exit to my partner. I said, hey, you know, if you can just buy me out, you know, you can take it and I'll just kind of take my money and, you know, go do something else. 
and I took what I thought was a little bit of money and I tried to talk to like a real wealth manager, like someone who would service the likes of like, you know, a Warren Buffett or, you know, a Bill Gates, like that caliber of, of a financial professional. And I realized that uh, in their eyes, I was still very much broke unless I was able to write them a check for a quarter of a million dollars, I couldn't even get them on the phone. And so that kind of sent me down this road of building what is now Freeman Capital. Wow. So what, are you building Freeman Capital because that experience was negative? Are you building Freeman Capital because you want to direct funds in a certain way? What, you said you're building Freeman Capital because of the experience, but take me a little deeper into that. Yeah, so... Here I was, albeit, you know, kind of, you know, arrogant at the time to think that I could get someone like that on the phone, but sometimes you have to shoot for the moon. But the fact is that I felt like I wasn't there yet, but I had aspirations of getting there. And I wanted a partner who was going to help me build my wealth and passive income streams and monitor my stuff and just make sure that I was headed in the right place financially for not just myself, but generationally. And that was the reason why I reached out to them. And when I found out that it wasn't just me, I mean, there are over 41.5 million U.S. households that have less than a quarter of a million dollars in net worth, and they are basically stuck to doing it on their own. And so when I found out that, hey, this whole world is that if you're not already in the top, you know, one, two, five percent of U.S. population, there's no one to help you out financially. And the thing is that we all know that finances are a tool, but they can help you live a better quality of life, get more health care, get more education. And I felt like I wanted a partner. There wasn't one there. There are millions of people in this same situation, and that's what Freeman Capital is trying to solve. So if you don't have a quarter of a million, you're broke is kind of the synopsis from wealth <laughs> That's managers, what the right? professional wealth managers say, yes. Right. And do you understand why they feel that way? Oh, totally. So from their perspective, they only have so many hours per day. They are one person who is calling on, calling on customers, you know, managing the accounts, and they themselves are trying to make money. So if you only have eight hours in a day and you want to make the most money that you can personally, you will go after the biggest clients that you can. So I'm not mad at them at all because I understand it, but it still leaves a problem for the rest of us. And so... The thesis and what we have proven out and what we are building and growing is that by using technology and really and marketing and a brand that is related to person, we can solve this problem and serve more people, you know, one-to-one through our platform. And that's what and, – and that really is our goal. Got it. So you're going to give Joe Blow – the same experience that they would get if they had that quarter of a million. And that quarter of a million is more of, so people define net worth different ways, right? And it all depends on who you're talking to on whether the house is included in a net worth or not. That 250 that you mentioned 
is probably investable assets, right? It's not when you take the equity out your house and add it on top of your net worth. That is very true. So what most of the traditional wealth managers are focused on is liquid net worth. Because if you have a house that is worth, you know, let's just say $10 million, you can't pull that money out because you are living there. I mean, you could refinance but or, you know, do a home equity. But just generally speaking, what they are trying to get is that they, that they need assets to manage. And so that's liquid net worth, like being able to write them a check to put into, into your investment account. That's, that's really what they're looking for. And so they generally target accredited investors. And accredited investors are, you know, generally those who have a net worth of at least $1 million or have a very high income. Right. Got it. Got it. So let's step away from where you're at in Freeman. And why are you so interested in wealth? Was it something that happened or are there a number of experiences that kind of drove you towards that? And so I would say that I've always been interested in the concept of money, uh, not just from the actual like paper tool or the, or the digital ones and zeros, but just because in this world and especially in this society, we are, we use capital as our tool. We live in a capitalist world. So you look at the wealth gap. You look at the opportunities that the people don't have. At the end of the day, it comes down to capital. You know, most of the revolutions that happen are because you have some people who are feeling like they're like they are poor, and then they're feeling oppressed, and then you have those who have means and wealth. And so, the way that I think we can help balance this game a little bit is to try and help more people to build their own wealth in ways that might be easier that they don't even know. And so for me, you know, capital is nothing more than a tool to get to people to help them to live a better life. That, that's, that's just what I've chosen to, to, like, try and help the world with. That sounds amazing. And, you know, it, it goes back to my favorite, one of my favorite Jay-Z verses where he talks about financial freedom being his only hope. Uh, I think wealth accumulation and growth is core and once you get it, partnering with the right people so that they can continue to grow it for you is essential. So, Calvin, did you have an early experience with wealth that got you intrigued, or what got the curiosity going? Because I know you said you've always been interested, but what happened? So I would say that it first started very early on. So I was fortunate enough to have, like, a computer in the 90s and have the Internet and so I, I was able to get on ShareBuilder and, like, buy my first stocks when I was a teenager. And so this was in the 90s, and you had the dot-com boom. And so this was my first experience with investing and doing it on my own and, like, putting money to work. And that whole experience of making money when I slept and just buying shares of companies that I liked, that is what sent me down this road. Now, it wasn't hard to make money at that time because everything was virtually going up. But, excuse me, that was one of the first things that really helped me to go down this road. But then I also had some experiences when I was extremely broke that were probably even more motivating than when I made some. So you were broke. Interesting. 
Tell me more about that. So when I was running my company, you know, this was right after college, and not every day is a great day when you're a, when when you are an entrepreneur. And so there was a time when I took my eye off of the ball and trying to get a constant flow of sales in, and I was just more so focused on managing what I had when I hadn't focused too much there, and those projects ended, and I didn't have any more to fill the hopper. And so I had a gap of, of several months of no, no money coming in because, as you know, there's generally a lead time to get business in. And for me, I took my eye off that ball, and things got hard. I mean, I had a bit of success because I was able to buy my first home when I was still in college at 20. Now I'm 25, 26, and things went horribly wrong with, you know, that business. I had to, you know, let my folk go. I, you know, was living in my house, and, and it was so bad that, like, the power was out, and I, and I, and I could only shower uh, during daylight because there was a window from my bedroom into the bathroom, so I had to wait till the sun was up because uh, I just didn't have power. And so I, I can remember, like, the power man coming, and I, you know, I begged him not to cut off my power at that time. And I, and I realized that I couldn't be mad at him. He's just doing his job. But it was in that moment that I realized, you know what, there were a number of things that I could have done better. I could have saved better. I could have prioritized better. I could have better managed my money with the risk. That that is what told me that if I ever got out of it, I would behave differently. And it took several months. So I actually wrote down like a check. It was a check that I didn't, of course, you know, send to anyone. But I wrote a check for every single one of my debtors. And I wrote the, um, the amount and who it was to. And like by faith, I was like, I will have all of these debts paid off. And it took several years, but I still have those cork boards now, they're kind of like Moses had the uh, tablets of the, the Ten Commandments, which he showed, like, the people of, of Israel. This, this, to me, I look forward to, to sharing this with, you know, my son and being like, hey, even when you're in your worst situation, if you can build a plan, even if it's, you know, tens and $50,000 in debt, uh, which at that time was a lot for me, you can do it as long as you take steps forward. And so that type of partnership is also what really has motivated me to make Freeman to be accessible for everyone because when times are super dark like that, sometimes you just need someone to be there with you to help you keep going. Wow. So you touched the bottom of the pool. <laughs> that, I, I was down there with no lifeguard, man, no lifeguard. So how did you turn it all around? I mean, I know you said you sold XMG and you had some money, you took it to a wealth advisor, but yeah, yeah. you skipped some steps in between touching the bottom of the pool. You <laughs> happened to be in daylight to take a shower, and, you know, I, I'm selling my company yeah. for a profit, and I got some money to invest once you talk to me. Yeah, so I can remember when I'm still at the bottom of the pool, I cannot cook, and I wish I could because I used to go to, like, the grocery store that was right up the street, and I, and I would make the worst meals. I, I mean, like, spaghetti and syrup. I mean, it, it was just horrible because I couldn't cook, but I, I like uh, spaghetti. Thank God that I have a wife now, right? But it was during that time when I was really trying to figure out how to get the funnel back going, where I, where I kept pressing and kept trying to send out proposals and going through my network when 
we got at our at that time a really big opportunity to work with the Maya Angelou Institute at Wake Forest. And that one project is the one that turned it back around and then helped us to get more projects and more visibility. Like we did work with Tom Joyner and then with Guilford County and with a number of entities, you know, Department of Health, uh, the, the U.S. Department of Health. And so, uh, but there was about six, nine months when I was down there with no lifeguard. And sometimes you need someone there just to help you out. But by pressing forward and by not giving up and believing in not just myself but in the vision that, you know, God gave me, I was able to get to this point to where we did turn around, were able to make some great projects, and that then lended to a few, a few years later when I decided that it was time to get out and move on. So why didn't you just pack it in and just go get a job while you were – at the bottom, how do you persist for the six to nine months? Did you just believe in it that much? So, so one, I was dating my then she was my girlfriend at the time, but now she's she she is my wife. She told me, "Hey, Calvin, you need to get a job." And I was like, "No, I won't. I'm gonna do my business because I meant to do it, and it's gonna be great." And she's like, "No, you need to get a job because you can't eat." And it took like a couple months for that, and so we compromised. So what I did was I got a nighttime auditor job at a hotel. Uh, so those are the people, when you go to a hotel and you check in like at 11 or 1 or 2 p.m., the ones who are at the desk from 11 to 6 or 7 p.m. So, you know, I had to like check the hotel bedroom, the walks at night, all of those things. But I picked that job because I could still do my company 9 to 5. So I would work my company nine to five or nine to whenever, you know, I was done, try and sleep for like four to six hours and then go work at the hotel from 11 to 7 a.m. The good thing was that I could bring my computer and work at night too if I needed to. So that is what I kept doing to keep going. Then I had to like major swallow my pride. You know, and, like, I had to move out of my house that, that I bought when I, I was in college, and I was 29, 30 years old, and I moved, no, I was, I was like, 28, you know, 29 years old, something like, something like that. I forget the age. And I actually moved back into collegiate housing. So near colleges, they will rent a room, all, all expenses included for, like, $400. So I took that much of a step back. And so I was, I don't know, 27, 28, I forget the age, but I'm a definite grown man. And I am living in an apartment with, like, two college kids. And so my friends definitely thought, I mean, I heard through the great final, oh, man, Calvin, Calvin fell off. You know, he used to be this, used to be that. Now he's living there. But I had to do that to take the steps that I needed to take to pay off all of the debts, to still live, and to continue to do my company. And so it was a trifecta of all three of those things that helped me to continue to move forward. You call it swallowing your pride, and I think about the people who live their life, like they're, they're a slave to their lifestyle. They're not willing to give up that level of comfort in order to enjoy whatever they're pursuing in delayed gratification. So I think it's amazing that you didn't sell your dream for cheap, 
right? Because in hindsight, $100,000 isn't a lot of money to earn over the course of a year. Right. So, you know, when right. people just turn their back on their dream for the sake of, you know, a little bit of money, I just, I always wonder, well, so I did it at one point, and I, I realized it wasn't worth it. And I'm watching yeah. people all around me going through the same thing where you're like, well, I can't go back, because what will people say? Hey, you're a living example of... Exactly. Yeah. I did. I went back. I went all the way, only to emerge strong. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's extremely dope, man. And, you know, it's it's interesting that people spend so much time talking about where somebody is in life and whether they're better off than they were or worse off than they were. Yep. And that kind of segues me into the next question. So if you had a time machine and you could go back, what would you do different? You know, it's, it's so funny because someone asked me this same question like three days back. And I have to say, and it may sound weird, but I'm thankful for my whole journey. And, and there's nothing that I would change because everything I have learned from and has brought me to the point that I am now. Uh, I was just listening to this book called, called Smart Cuts, which, uh, which basically is a book on how to leverage things to get you know, farther ahead. And it had a section on people that win the lottery or that come into a lot of money quickly. They, more than the regular person, become depressed because they were just given things or they came easy. The journey is part of the blessing or part of the, you know, gold at the end of the rainbow. So I love my journey that I have been through because it makes me able to relate to far more people because of every step that I took. I can't change anything in my story, and I nor would I want to. I would go back and live the, the same thing over, still, you know, be hungry, still, you know, have, you know, no power, still live in a college dorm with a roommate that smoked so much weed that I had to stuff towels under my door just so the weed smell wouldn't come into my room all day long. There's nothing that I would change because every part of it helped me to become who I am today and who I'm working to become in the future. Did you ever worry that you weren't going to come out of it, that it wasn't going to get better? Did you ever worry that it was what it was and that's what it was going to be? So not only did I worry then with that worry now, because the reality of things is that we as humans live in a finite time. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or whatever. And I still see friends of mine who are taking, you know, trips around the world. You know, their 401K is much more than I am. You know, they're able, you know, to buy more things and stuff like that. And I still wonder, like, man, should I have done it? But I come back to this is what I believe is my purpose. This is why I believe I, I am on this earth to do what I am. And so – that is what I told myself then. That's what I've told myself now. Because the thing that I have learned is that we will always have some sort of challenge in front of us, no matter what stage of life that we are at. And when I learned how I can deal with my challenges with stress, you know, anxiety, be it depression or a lack of confidence. That just helps me when I get to the next stage. So when I'm going through this then and now, I still center on that same fact of no matter what, there's a lesson that I have to learn here. 
I could be wrong. Even if I am, I know that in the end, it's all going to work out. And that's basically where my faith is. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So how did you get so clear about what your purpose is? <laughs> well, I'll say this. When you have uh, no TV, uh, no power, um, and you have to, like, you know, walk or, you know, ride a bike to a Panera Bread to get on the Internet, you have a lot of time to think. And so that's also why I wouldn't change my journey because during that time, I became really comfortable with myself. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of reading because those are all things that you can do for free. And, you know, I just there, – there was a study that I saw which said that the average American does not like to be in silence for, like, more than, than 15 or, or 20 seconds. Like, they, they feel uncomfortable. And that comes from not being fully comfortable with self. And I was forced to deal with that during that stage. And now as a result, like, I, I love time of meditation and thinking and pondering and, and thinking and dreaming. So that's why that stage might look like a failure to some, but to me, that was like my planting stage where I got my foundation for why I'm so comfortable with that now. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. I, I think few people really understand the value of being still and being quiet. So you, you're right on board. I, my journey was very similar, and so I'm excited to hear that from you. So we talked a little bit about Freeman Capital early on. I want to circle back to that. So build that out for us because I know that's your new dream. Make it, uh, yep. make it clear for me. What does that look like today, and what does it look like six months or 12 months from now? So right now, what we are bringing is something that is brand new to the market. And that's not just my words, but that's people who, who work in finance have told me that. Me and my team, uh, we are focused on helping that, that group of 41 million people who have less than a quarter of a mil liquid that they can write a, a check to help them take the next step forward. And we're doing it in three key areas. The first is with financial planning. What we have is we have a, number, we have a couple of certified financial planners on our team who normally manage hundreds of thousands to millions of, of thousands of dollars in portfolios. They are helping to train the artificial intelligence that we are building in-house so that everyone can get access to that type of financial planning and advice. So that's the first part of our platform. And then the second part is aided managed investments. And what that means is that no matter if you have $100,000 or $1, we can build and manage an investment portfolio for you that is diversified in some of the best and most valuable companies in the world. If you take Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway, the current share price as of earlier this week was $320,000 per share. Not a whole lot of people own a whole lot of Berkshire Hathaway, or much of it really. But through our platform, we can do fractional shares, which means that you might not be able to buy one whole share, but you can buy a piece of a share. And that then enables us to provide those portfolios and give you know, you and the rest of this population the chance to get that appreciation percentage gain, even if you can't buy the whole portfolio. 
I mean the whole um, uh, stock. And then the third thing that that we are providing is education and empowerment. In our social media, in our social uh, network, what we have is we have experts who come on our platform and provide seminars. They do webinars and self-paced courses, as well as daily blog posts. And you can be in this community surrounded by other like-minded people. And you get access to the unlimited financial planning, the no commission, and the automated management of your portfolio, and access to our social community for just $20 per month. And that is what we are rolling out. So right now we're bringing, bringing on our first set of users, and we are running a special to where it's just $10 per month for life if you are one of our first customers who sign up on our platform. And then in about a year, we should have even more capability built out in NIA, which is the name of our artificial intelligence, and even more offerings in terms of different types of investments, be it in uh, real estate or forex or futures, uh, and then even more content in our community. Sign me up. $10 a month for all that education? Daily? For $10 a month daily? for just the first 100 people. Yes, okay. for life. So even as we build more and our prices go up, because you came on first, you get locked in for that price for life. So how do I sign up? Really simple. You go to freemancapital.co. There you put your, your email in. Uh, then uh, a member of my team will, uh, will follow up with you. We'll ask you to take a very short survey to help understand what you need in your wealth management partner. Uh, and, then we'll, uh, and, and then we'll begin to bring you on to our platform. And it, it literally is that easy. You pay $10 per month and you can invest zero, one dollar, you know, 100000 whatever you want, but for $10, you get access to the whole platform. Okay. So Freeman's going to grow out and solving the problem for the average American as far as having access to a wealth planner. And you're, it sounds like you're going to give them access to investments that they wouldn't be able to get to on their own. Is that true? Exactly. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay, perfect, man. So let's move away from Freeman, but... I think it's still related. What's been the difference between you getting what you want versus the times that you didn't? I think that when, when you get what you want, you can sometimes take advantage of the fact that you got it. When you don't get what, when you don't get what or, or when I don't get what I want, it, it, it really forces me to analyze what happened, where did I go wrong, what could I have done better, so that I can try again. Because the beautiful thing about life, I'm not in the medical field, so nothing that I do is life or death. So I generally have another chance to, to do it and attack that same problem. So when I get what I want, it's more of a celebration, a milestone, you get that boost of energy that's positive. But then when I don't get what I want, you also get a different type of boost. And so you get the initial win that comes smacks you in the chest and it kind of, you know, takes you out for a second. But then you get that recovery, which is when you get stronger. It's just like when you lift weights. It's like when you're exerting force at a, you know, a higher weight, your body gets stronger. And so for me, when I don't get what I want, that's when I get stronger so I can level up and get it the next time. I love your perspective on life. 
It doesn't matter what happens. It's for you to get better. <laughs> you always win. It doesn't matter whether you got what you wanted or you didn't. You either got the lesson or got the point of reflection, but, you know, it's for you to get better. That's awesome. That's the exact quote that I used to, to say that I always win in the end, but it comes off really cocky, so I stopped saying it. The reason of what you just said is why I used to have that mentality, because, or I still do, because either, either I win or I get stronger, and then I'll win later. In the end, I win. I'm going to adopt that. What are you most grateful for? At this stage, I would say first, you know, by faith, right, because – because it, it is the thing that has kept me going in places when or places when I should have given up. And then, and then second is my wife. You know, I always prayed back when I was on top or feeling like I was on, on top of, hey, you know, I want a woman that wants me for me, not because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now the, now, the funny thing is that I prayed that when I had, when I had uh, something and she was with me when I had nothing. Like, that's when she came on the scene. So I knew for sure she was not here for anything else but me. And I'm thankful for her because being with an entrepreneur is not easy. You know, you, I work late. I'm always thinking about, about stuff. And, and she lets me be me and still is supportive. So I'm uber, you know, grateful for that. And then, you know, my son, which is amazing. So I have a three-year-old, and I love being a dad. You know, that's the best thing. And then just to kind of wrap it up, I would say I have close to 20 people who have been working on this project of, of Freeman Capital for the past couple of years. And I am so grateful that, that these people, they joined at various times, but they saw enough in the idea and, and, and me to give me their time. And time is literally the most viable thing that we have. And I'm grateful that they thought me and this idea worthy of their time to build out this project. And then lastly, you know, we have almost 100,000 people across social media and emails who are waiting on this project, uh, engaging with it, looking forward to signing up. Like, I'm immensely grateful for each and every one of them because just in 2015, this was just an idea. And now you have people who, you know, are paying and ready to sign up and pay. Like, that's just, it just still floors me to right now. I think that's a testament of your leadership, man, and being able to share your vision with folks and engaging them. The fact that you have so much clarity is wonderful. Not a whole lot of people are there. So I think those things are what's driving the support that you're getting. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how did you buy a house in college? <laughs> you probably could still do it now the way, the way I did it, but it was super easy for me because I did it during the uh, subprime time. And as you know, they were giving out loans to anybody with a half heartbeat. But the way that I made it work was that I was recruited around 17 at the Department of Defense to program and work on things. So I had a pay stub that showed full salary. So when they asked for my proof of income, I just gave them what my pay stub was. And my pay stub looked like it said my job, it said who paid me, it said how much I got paid, and that was all that they needed, and then they gave me a loan. So that's how I got the loan, and it was like $0 down at this time. And then when I was still in school, what I did was I rented out uh, two of the three bedrooms 
through some of my friends because we all were trying to live together anyways. So they paid for the mortgage, and that's how it all worked out. So you were a house hacker before it was on Bigger Pockets and HGTV. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve as usual. Yeah, I guess so, because this was like uh, 2005, 2006, or 2000, yeah, I think it was 2005, so yeah, perhaps. I, I, I should have kept doing it, but I just, I just bought my one house, but yeah. So I guess the last thing I want to do is if people could only take one thing away from this conversation or one thing away from the, an interaction with you, what would that be? What would you want them to know or learn or see or do? What's the one takeaway? The first thing that popped into my mind is that their dream is worth the sacrifice. I think that the reason why we have so many people who work a job and hate it or, you know, are using, you know, drugs and things to kind of escape reality or a number of things just distract. They have a dream inside of them that they are not pursuing. And for me, like, I don't have to, uh, to drink coffee. I wake up most days, I'm energized, I'm ready to rock and roll because my dream is what motivates me more than any artificial thing can. And so I would tell people, like, your dream is worth the sacrifice to try. Even if you don't get all the way to your goal, you'll still get farther in life and love every minute of it. You might have to sacrifice time, some money, events, or travel, but it's worth it because that's why you are put on earth. And there's nothing more important than pushing forward and trying to find your dream and your purpose and then running toward that with everything you have. Man, your dreams should be real. You got to be willing to pay the price for that thing, though. You got to pay the price. Dreams aren't free. They are not free. If you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit the website at dreamshouldbereal.com. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it. Get it how you live, and that's just what I did. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy. You know I hustle all day and all night, boy.